In this episode of Your Double Podcast, we are speaking to Don Andrea McCarthy. Don is an adult survivor of abandonment, parental abduction, and severe parental alienation. She was abducted by a mother at the age of four, and it took her forty-four years to finally reunite with her father. It is an incredible story that illustrates the power of not giving up when it comes to parental abduction. She is also the CEO of Securing Everything, the chair for the National Parents Organization of Florida. An associate producer of the hit documentary film *Erasing Family*. Don is also the co-founder and host of the Humanly Possible channel found on Facebook. This is the last part of a three-part series with Don, and I'm joined by my co-host for this series, Thomas Saviskas, a lesbian parent from Japan. If you want to know more about Thomas's story, you can just go back to the episode that we did with him a while back. Now, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Another thing that can happen that most interviews don't talk much about, and I also know that you haven't talked about it, but I just want to know what you think about it, is that you know that you, as somebody, have seen what happens when children get separated from their parents. You might have a family, or you might have friends who are doing the same thing as what your mom did, right? How do you one tell them that what they're doing is wrong? As somebody have gone through it, and two, uh, what? What do you do in those situations? Has it ever happened? And you seen somebody also trying to do the same thing? What What do you do? Because I'm just wondering, what can someone do? Because you might be someone who's listening to this particular podcast, and you are like, "Hey, I know this person did this," but you don't know what to say. And I think it's really, really important to hear what you have to say. I about think that. the best rule of thumb is honesty, and to give honest feedback to something that you know is wrong. If you're seeing it and you think about it. And not saying anything, it's like being complicit in it. And sometimes we don't want to upset our friends, our friends, or our friendships, or our relationship. It could destroy a relationship. But if you put the child first and the child's needs first, that that should rule over that decision. It should make that decision easier to make. And I know it's not a comfortable place to be in, in a position where you have to stand up for the rights of the child. In something that would be very awkward, but I would think that, especially knowing what I know now, if I saw it happening, that I would say, "Look, this is what it's called. Let's look at this. This is the picture. The picture is this is called parental alienation, and it's very damaging to your child to have a parent removed from them. So, if we're calling it out and help, maybe helping to guide." A parent that's about to make a really bad choice for their child—that's um, the only way we're going to bring awareness and and by pointing it out. This is what that's called. This is what this looks like. And now we're starting to have examples. We have the the film Erasing Family. If anybody doesn't know how to describe it, the film does that for you. If you can share the film Erasing Family, it will show people. What's happening in the court system, and and it doesn't really talk about specifically 
parental alienation, but it's showing you what happens when a parent's removed. And that's really the essence of the film is to tell it from the child's point of view. And when we start to think, okay, this, this, this is not right. We should not be removing parents. We have, the only way we're going to change it is by standing up and saying something. And as hard as that might be, it's the best thing for the child because then somebody actually stood up for the child in that, in that situation. So as hard as it and difficult as it might be, we have to try and broach that, that subject. And I mean, you might have to be delicate with it, but we have to point it out and tell, you know, know what it is. The awareness is the key where we have to spread the awareness of what's happening. And if we witness it, we have to say something. What would you do if you saw somebody that was robbing a bank or walking into a store that was planning on robbing the clerk? We would say something. We would call the police. Well, it is illegal to abduct a child in all 50 states. And if you are holding a child against their will from another parent, that's like being held hostage. And guess what? That's, that's abduction. So we have to call these out. It should be a crime to keep a child away from another parent, especially a safe and loving parent. So and if there is no harm or danger in, in this child's presence in, around that other parent, we have, to, we have to start saying something. We can no longer be a, a, a society that allows people to hide their dirty laundry as far as, you know, for lack of a better word there. We can't just keep this quiet. We have to speak up. Okay, cool. Uh, so my next question here is that, you know, there's a lot of uh, children who are going through this, especially in places like Japan and like India and Indonesia and all that, all these Asian uh, countries. And one, they do not have much courage to talk about this to others because they feel like, you know, uh, they might be looked down by their peers and exactly what you went through, right? Like it was hard for you to like talk to others about, hey, this is what's happening with me. That's why I'm depressed. or that's why, that's why I'm like, you know, uh, a bit different compared to the most, uh, most of the kids in the class who are cheerful and not much to worry about and all that, right? So what is your advice for kids who are going through this? Number one, to, to manage themselves better in, in that way. And number two is that, what do you think that teachers and others in the kids' life can do to help the situation? Yeah, that's a really good question. And as far as the other countries, um, if they if they could see the ACES model and maybe start to introduce that into their area, this is not something that is specific only to the United States. It could apply across the board. It doesn't. It's not regional by any means. It could be used as a model anywhere. And if we're starting to pay attention to the behaviors of children, if you think about the children that are acting out in schools, many of them are acting out because of what's going on at home. And it doesn't always mean that there's a divorce or separation, but it does often tie back to being in a single family or single parent home. So there's a lot of significance in that, especially when you talk about, because I've talked to people from India, I've talked to people from Japan, I've talked to people from Africa, from, you know, Europe, Australia, and the stories are the same, just different circumstances. We all have the same story. They're just different circumstances. And that by volume should be enough to, to do research on and understand 
that this is a, a pandemic. This is going on around the world, and it's not isolated to just a country's culture or belief. This is everywhere in many cultures with many different beliefs. So it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that parents divorce and then the children end up being um, kept from another another parent. And when our, I know that there are some countries that have laws that automatically the moms rule, no matter what, period. The mom gets the kids or the kids and the, the fathers have no recourse whatsoever. And then in other situations, like Thomas, in your situation with Japan, if they're Japanese citizens, it doesn't matter. Like there's there's no Hague Convention that will will change that at all. So we we have a Hague Convention to help prevent this from happening, from kids being taken from the the country they were born in and abducted into the country that one of their parents is from. That Hague Convention is to help fix that, to help keep that from happening. But not every country is involved or agreed to the Hague Convention. So it makes it really difficult when we don't stand in recognition of the fact that kids need both parents globally, but we all know it to be true. If we ask any one of the judges, the magistrates, any one of the lawyers, attorneys, or whatever, what they would do if it was their child. They're going to do everything that they see you doing. Yes. Uh, sadly, when it comes to Hague Convention in uh, and Japan, uh, Japan happens to be one of the most advanced economies for the last, what, almost like 40, 50 years, right? Uh, number two, now number three. And yet, they came up with this Hague Convention thing just in year 2014. And they did came up with it not because they thought, oh, it's kind of a good thing for everybody. They came up with it because of shame. They got tired, literally got tired of being shamed in every, in any and every international forum. So they, they mm -hmm. put the Hague Convention in place. And yet, uh, it's been 2014, so we have now like eight years. It's been up and running, and they managed to skirt it on every conceivable level at every turn nook and cranny they will find and still they, they, they did find and still finding good ways to skirt the workings with it and they're not really adhering to the convention they're not adhering to anything and literally just very very recently like last year there was a uh uh, a, I don't remember, I don't want to, to lie uh, to our listeners, but I, I think it's either a high court judge or a constitutional court judge who came up and said a Hague Convention is merely an agreement and we don't need to follow it. It's merely an agreement. When you hear the, the judges treat the, con the, the, in, the, the convention which you sign, which is binding, which is binding, mm -hmm. and they said, oh, it's merely an agreement, like, you know, drinking beers and saying, hello, I'm going to help you tomorrow, that kind of agreement level, you know what the country is doing. Yeah, that's, that's skewed. That is definitely skewed, because it's not just an agreement. It's an agree-upon 
act between countries and we do these kinds of agreements in war, in land, in ownership, in rental, in leasing, and all kinds of things internationally. So if this is just an agreement, then so are all the other documents signed. They can't have it both ways. They can't pick and choose which ones they want to listen to. If it's a signed agreement, then it's actually what they need to be following as if it were law, because otherwise everything else that is signed is not worth the paper it's signed on. Well, uh, now to our listeners uh, who might not be aware about the beautiful country Japan, is we have a very peculiar law, uh, again, being so advanced that we decided, even until year 2022, that sole custody is the way to go. What, what does it mean? It doesn't mean sole custody as it would mean in uh, US or Europe or the rest of the world. Sole custody means that uh, upon divorce, you lose any and all bonds with your child or children forever. No visitation, no, no, no nothing. nothing. Literally, from that day onward, you become a strange... An erased parent. Uh, not, just a rain, uh, not just a erased parent, so to speak, but even, even worse, like, whom I would be to your children and absolutely nobody. And whom I would be to my daughter today, as we speak, being divorced uh, in Japan under Japanese law, and the same, absolutely nobody. I have no rights whatsoever. None, zero, nada. Abs- that is terrible. Ab- absolutely, absolutely and, terrible. And the problem is, the law is the law is harsh. We can we can call politicians are bad. The law is bad. Uh, the ruling party is not okay. But the biggest problem so far in the country is particularly to Japan because I'm, I'm unfortunately very, very well versed in, in this country, spent too many years in here, is that the people condone it. They never question it. They never ask, why are you single? What happened to the other parent? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why did you delete the parent? Why did you erase? Why did you remove? Why did you snatch the child and run? And in fact, it happens the opposite. Every time you hear the single mother or single father, especially it's about single mothers, everyone will come, oh, you're so poor soul. How can we help you? How can, uh, what, what can we do for you to be better? This overwhelming support, this overwhelming understanding, and, and uh, I, I don't know how to properly say in English, unconditional love. and basically almost reverence rever uh, is it correct word reverence this this action is being revered like it's something godly if you snatch a child yeah like ce- celebrated revered, revered like like god like this action of yours it's superb you did a great job you snatch the child you run and we say, oh, I run because of domestic violence. I run because of this. And normally we would ask, domestic violence against who? Is it uh, for the parent or is that for the child? If it's for the child, the question is almost done and dusted. If it's for the parent, well, you two adults, why don't you sort out your beef in one court and leave a child out of it? 
but that that's never the case the basic wisdom and culture and and culture in itself goes that cutting the parent altogether 100% is the best for the child that's the japanese wisdom and that's a myth and uh, to tell you even more stra- strangely is uh, until the uh, until the world war 2 uh the father used to retain upon the split divorce of the family uh the father used to retain the children's no questions asked because the society was looking down upon women who had children and no husband so if you happen to divorce and you have children no you cannot remarry it's it used to be extremely difficult to remarry you've been you've been treated as a broken person and when MacArthur came and said, wow, this is a little bit barbaric, and somehow he allowed the very left to go to the very right. It was, it was forgot that we have a, a healthy middle at some point. And now, since, uh, since, the, war, uh, end, since the war ended, the, uh, the children went to the mother, no questions asked. Because if the mother doesn't have the children, uh, it's something broken. It's something bad. And 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 people wrong and, with and her. people will say, yeah. oh, but how can we give a child to the father? You know, the mother can breastfeed and this and that. And sometimes you can come and literally ask him, what about if mother dies? What about then? What what, what, what do we do with the child? And then out of a sudden, we, oh, that's different. That that's you know, we don't need to to, to go and, and and dig too deep in, in just basically, mother is very good. And father should go and work in a company. So literally, the, inst- the institution made the the family unit as follows: mother and child stays at home and enjoys their life. A father will be like an accessory to the to that family, to the mother and child once every so often, or not so often, so to speak. And uh, of course, monetary support, walking ATM. That that is the father's uh, father's role in Japanese society. And even now, you would go and see politicians very extremely reluctant to discuss this issue of sole custody going towards joint custody because you will find out by digging very very shallowly that these very politicians came from these very broken families. How you would expect them to understand what's broken if they never had that bond to begin with. The, the, only, the only way, and a lot of, this you will hear time and time again in this country where people will say, but look at me, I'm good. I didn't have a mother. I didn't have a father. Look, I'm healthy. I'm working. I'm earning money. I'm actually having a high position in this or that world. I, I can sing, I can dance, I can read, I, I know three languages, I, I travel the world. I have my children. I, I'm okay, no problem. Everything is fine. So this this uh, broken circle which we spoke about, it's being perpetrated time and time and time again. And it seems that nobody has enough guts and mass to go and say, enough is enough. We had a broken, we had a broken country. We had steadily increasing child abductions 
from 10,000 to 20,000 to 30,000 to 70,000 to 90,000 to 160,000. It's going by geometric pro progression yearly and nobody has enough guts to come and say enough. Today we draw the line and the snatching of children will be dealt like snatching, uh, uh, sorry, snatching of your own children will be dealt in the same manner like snatching of somebody's children. I don't care who took my daughter. Was it my wife? Was it my mother? Was it Al-Qaeda? Was it Bin Laden himself? I don't care. That's, if I don't... That's significant. I want to jump in just to touch on yes, that just a bit. Of course, please. You would, one of, Something that somebody told me when I said I was abducted, they were like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. Who abducted you? And I said, my mother. And they're like, that's not abduction. Cool. And they totally discredited the fact that I was abducted. Now, ask, if you ask any child that's gone through this, is it less traumatic because my mother did it? Is it less traumatic that I never got to see my father again? Was it less traumatic that I didn't get returned? I mean, where is it different? Where is it not considered the same thing when it's the, the long-term effects are very real? And the trauma that has existed from the moment that I was taken and then add on the brainwashing, the gaslighting, add on the fact that I was missing a living person, a living bereavement. So where, how do we measure it's worse only if it's not apparent? Because I would argue differently. It is definitely as bad, if not worse, because this is a person that I know and should have been able to trust. Yes, and so uh, just along with what you were saying, I just wanted to throw that and, in. And there. I, I sometimes ask uh, people, even even politicians, because I met a few of them, uh, when they say, "Well, but you know, you don't need to worry. Your child is with the mother." And I'm like, "Well, what about?" But I want to see the child take their first step. I want to dance with her at her daddy-daughter dance. I want to see my son win victory at the football game. What about all of those things that I know for a fact that I wish I could have seen my father sitting in the bleachers in my gymnastics meet because my mother wasn't? Well, you see, that, so that, that's more that, that That thing is not important for them. And if it's not important... But it is for me. And, uh, and that's a problem. If it's not important for them, it means that it shouldn't be important for you. And we're all different. Some people like this way. Some people don't. Yep. Why would you impose your own skewed values to such important thing? If you don't like your family, good for you. I don't need to. I don't need to live. And every family is so different too. We we're not we're not you know all the the Brady Bunch or the Beaver. You know we're not the same as what you see on TV. Yeah, we all have dinner together, maybe as family. Maybe we have, you know, some people eat at the table. Some people eat at the on their couch watching TV. We're not the same. We're not the same. So just because one person thinks a family looks like this, that's only relevant to them. Right. Because not all families act the same or do things exactly the same way. And so we can't expect that family unit to be identical 
to every other family. I, I keep I keep asking everyone who who keeps telling that you should it, it isn't that bad because uh, oh it's not that bad it's your wife who took the daughter so so she's fine. I keep asking them, especially the ones who have children. What about your children? Would you feel any better if a children was taken from you for five years exactly. with no knowledge whatsoever, none whatsoever, by her, let's say, or by him, or by uh, any any other outsider? W- would it make any difference for you? Will you sleep better? Will you feel better? Will you be more jovial than usual? Well, all that. And would it be okay if the other parent told your child that you're a terrible person and they don't deserve to be your parent? They're not good enough for you. They should never be trusted. Don't talk to them. It doesn't mean anything if they say that they love you. I mean, those are things that are actually occurring. So if they say, oh, but if they're with the mother, it should be fine. It's not fine if the kid is being brainwashed and gaslit into believing something that's not true. And, and, and touching on exactly this, this part is uh, when, when sometimes I mention to them, well, what about abduction by terrorists? We say, oh, terrorists will abuse. What about this parent? This parent is, let's say he's not abusing the child physically like terrorists would do, but he's brainwashing the child for future, for the whole life. Yeah, they also conduct psychiatric or I mean not psychiatric psychological um psychological abuse they they engage in that as part as yeah emotional abuse psychological abuse that is definitely what a terrorist would do and that's exactly what a parent is doing they're psychologically and emotionally abusing their child to not want to be with that other parent to hate that parent so much that they can wipe them out of their life. I, I'm not. I'm not an expert on terrorists and how how what we do with uh, abducted, uh, you know, people, <laughs> so to speak. But I can I can imagine that there will be this thing of telling them that your father or mother is a bad and evil, and you need to be afraid of them would be the last on their mind. No, they don't want to say call your parents because I want. <laughs> Sorry, that went way off. <laughs> but 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 oh, but God. you see, this is this is where people really trip properly by saying, "Oh, because oh, you've been abducted by your mother. That's not bad. It's her, she's her mother, right? What about the the other damage? It's not just because I'm with the mother or with the father that everything is well and no damage is no damage is being done." Yep. Well, that's why I talk, because I'm, I'm here to tell you that the damage that my mom did by the things that she told me has lasted me my entire life. It has affected my ability to set boundaries. It's affected my ability to deal with conflict. It's affected my ability to have meaningful relationships that didn't take an enormous amount of work or until I actually found that real feeling, that true feeling of unconditional love. And that woke my heart back up. If none of that happened, my mom was very damaging in what she did, even though she didn't intend to. She probably had no idea that it would be psychological, that it would affect me. The emotional abuse part of it would affect me the rest of my life. Was that her intention? Maybe not. Maybe it was. Maybe some parents don't care, you know, because they're so 
um, you know, they could be so extremely narcissistic that it didn't matter. They didn't care whatsoever. And they'll never think about it again. Cause I do know some people that have parent a, a parent that's like that. But the, the point is, is that it, it is happening and it, I can speak to it. I can tell you, I know from my own experience and I know that nobody's going to stand here today and tell me that I'm a liar, that I can't be trusted, that none of this happened because I know for a fact it did. And I've, I now know that I do have a voice. I didn't think I had a voice, but our voice matters so much now because that's what's going to help other people say, wow, we really don't want that to happen. And that's the only way that that people would even stop to think that it's, oh, well, it's just the mother. The only way we're going to stop that is by showing how damaging it really is. And that's why we have to speak. That's why we have to share our stories, both parents and children, not just the children, not just the parents, both of us. Maybe not at the same time or together, but all of us have a story that's going to relate to somebody. And somebody sitting in a, in a, a Congress or in um, chambers or in a committee or in a mental uh, um, a practitioner, a mental health practitioner, they're going to be able to say, whoa, my client is going through this right now. Or an attorney might say, wow, my best friend's going through this. And now I think I'm going to change how I treat my own cases. Or that judge might say, my daughter's going through this and it's terrible what we're doing to these kids. The only way we're going to make that kind of difference is by speaking and talking about it and having it out there in the airwaves so that your daughter, hopefully, God forbid, not long from now, can hear it. And that if it, other people have been separated for decades like myself, they can hear me now and they can still act. They can still take control of their life back. That is the most empowering thing I ever did was to take control of my life back, to re, you know, to put my name back that I was born with, that my dad named me, to say, this is my life from here on out, and nobody else is going to tell me how to think, how to speak, and how to feel, and nobody's going to tell me that what I've been through never happened, or that it wasn't significant enough to care about. That abduction put me on a trail of devastating life events. It's super important that people see that and understand that. Thank you for that answer. You gave me like, I told Thomas on my chat, that's a, it's a, you gave me the perfect answer. But there's another part of the question that I, I don't think we covered is that a lot of kids who are going through this, they're having trouble talking about this. Like even when we want to feature kids and all that, we have trouble getting them to talk on a podcast, mainly because they feel like, hey, I'm not ready to talk about this or I'm scared what my other parent will think and all that. So do you have anything to say to them or anything to encourage them to talk about it? Yeah, and, and you know, in a way, that's part of the take your life back. Take control of your life. It's your life. It always has been. Nobody should have stolen any part of it from you. So you, this is you standing up and saying, I'm in control now and I know what's best for me. And I need to do this. I need to find that parent. I need to heal with them because that's the only way to truly heal is with that other parent because they have answers that you need. So 
when you're apprehensive, that's fear. And when we're talking about fear, fear can be very debilitating, but it also is healthy to have some element of fear because it does keep us out of danger. So I'm not saying just shut off the fear, but you have to discover who you are. And the only way you can do that is by getting it yourself. You have to find those answers and hear it for yourself and then make your decision. You might come to the same conclusion. You might just say, wow, my mom was right or my dad was right. But how do you know? How do you know for yourself if you don't go and do your own work and your own investigation and your own reconciliation with this parent? You have to do it yourself. You have to have your own voice. You have to be able to stand up and say, I discovered this and this is the decision I'm going to make and then live with that, not what someone else planted. So. We have to deal in reality and we have to deal in facts because if you've gone through what I've gone through, trust and facts and reality are super important to keep clear, to have very clear lines of what happened and what's going on. And that's a decision process that I have to think through every single day. Every single day, I have to determine, am I dealing with this by reacting? Or am I dealing with this in a way that's going to help me progress? Am I going to learn something here and then move past it? So I know that's kind of a roundabout way of answering it, but we have to, we have to stare fear in the face sometimes and say, what am I really afraid of? Am I afraid of the person or am I afraid that I'm going to find out something I'm not prepared to find out that my whole life may have been built on a lie because that will also provide fear but accepting the truth wipes out fear so don't be afraid of finding out something that you're afraid means your life was based on a lie because the damage has already been done there's not going to be more damage by finding out and hearing it out loud except that this the acknowledgement of something happened that shouldn't have. And yes, it's going to be emotional. I'm not going to lie to you and say it's going to be easy and a piece of cake because it's been work and it's still work, but it gets easier over time. And when you have a good support system, and that may not be your parent, that might be someone like me. It might be um, other, like we have groups of people that are supportive of each other, We've just got to start locking arms and we have to, we have to sometimes take the risk because without that, you may never know. And if you can't get those answers, those questions that are deep down inside that I know are there because I've had them, I had my entire life, that ache, that desire to know my, my dad. And it's not something I could turn off. I could suppress it, but I couldn't turn it off. So I know that that's the same with other people, that it's there. You just have to start acknowledging that it's there and you have to take care of your inner child. So your inner child is the reason why we react because we haven't satisfied that inner child and showed them that we care enough about them to find the truth, that we are putting them first now and that they deserve to have that healing. My inner child 
has become stronger and stronger as the years have gone by. And now I know that all I need to do is if something is starting to affect me, it's, I say, okay, I hear you. And I know that that hurt you, This whatever the scenario was, and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to take care of that. You're worth being cared for. And that work comes with the support of sometimes it's mental health practitioners. Sometimes it's really good friends, people that have gone through it before. They understand it. Um, there's, there's different ways of finding support. I think a combination of those things are probably um, the best thing to do is to seek out people that are like you for support and also seek mental health, um, mental health experts. And I think that mental health needs to be uh, okay. We need to be okay with having good mental health because if I broke my leg, I'd go to a doctor. If my heart is broken, there's no heart doctor that can fix a broken heart, except there is mental health experts that can. They can help us reason with the broken heart and what our brain is telling us. And who told us certain things that made us believe certain things? We have to learn the difference between truth and not truth. That reality has to come into play. So treat your inner child like the most important person on the planet while you're going through this healing process. Because that will help you become the real you, the, in the, the you you were always meant to be. So I was abducted, and sometimes people will say, it derailed my life. And I've said it myself too, where you don't know the kind of life I was supposed to have. Where was I, what was I supposed to be? I could have been a doctor. I could have been an astronaut. I could have been whatever. But I think the whole truth to that is, is that it just took me more effort, more fight, more determination, and that I am who I'm supposed to be today. The path changed, but I was able to discover, find my true self, and be the person I was meant to be in a stronger way. Because now I have that, that power, I have that uniqueness about my story, and the ability to share it, and my my experiences with cybersecurity, my company is called Securing Everything. I wonder why that is, because I think that we, I have to secure everything in my life, and that includes my little inner child. That includes my relationships with my children. That includes my, my home, my physical security, my internet, my social, my virtual security. Everything now for me has meant all along, and that's why it all bridges together, that my whole mission for myself is to secure everything. And that, that helped me become more of myself today than I ever have been. And that's so rewarding, so satisfactory. So, you know, it's very satisfying to, to have that unique ability and awareness about myself and to love and appreciate who I am despite everything else. And as horrible as my story sounds, and a lot of people here probably or that are listening may not understand even a tenth of it, but the fact that I can turn this into something positive right now, take all that bad stuff and know it doesn't go away, but now it's positive because I'm trying to do something better than just be the victim 
of all of that. So we can't stand and stay, or we can't stay stagnant in our victimness. We have to take action to be more than the victim, to overcome anything that might have been put into place because of being a victim. And we can be better than we ever thought we could be, or maybe it was even intentional had we not figured this part out. So it empowers you. It makes you stronger to find your answers and yourself because you've gotten lost along the way. You're in there. So dive deep and look for yourself. Uh, just just a little uh, compliment, uh, complimentary send, sentence to, to the ending. Uh, absolutely, uh, I agree uh, with you, Don, about letting it go. Uh, you never need to abandon the child while you're looking for it, or a parent, whatever the case might be. But it's not healthy to be stuck in this forever victimness. It's... The yeah, grieving, and don't abandon yourself. The grieving, right. the grieving process is normal. People die, people get missing. Well, whatever happens, we some something happens, we grieve. That's normal. It's not normal, however, to grieve forever and ever and not be able to move from that one point. And uh, mm -hmm. I I see quite a few people around me who are grieving. 10 years later, we're still stuck in that same point we were 10 years ago. And this is not healthy for them. This is not healthy for uh, for the future reunification. If it happens, when it happens. It's not to say that people need to move on and forget, but they need to move on in a healthy way that comes where reunification happens. You are healthy enough to be able to enjoy that part. And you will not scare the child or the parent who will come and and and, and literally will almost say like, oh, this weirdo is, is, is sick. I, I, I don't want anything to do with him. So yes, this. Yeah, you know, there was something there too just made me think about when I did come and, and finally face to face with my dad and I was able to ask him certain questions that I knew only he knew the answer to. And I'll tell you something that I think is very important for parents that are hoping that their child comes to them and wants to reconnect and, and have answers is to be very careful how you answer those questions. And I think it's super important to remember that while your ex did the most devastating, painful thing to you and to your child, that child may not look at that parent in that light. They may still have a deep um, enmeshment with them. It may still be just a, a, a bond. It is still their parent after all, regardless if they did right or wrong. Um, maybe they have an idea of the situation. But one thing my dad did that was super smart, and I don't know who, how, how he came up with this because we, I didn't even know what parental alienation was when I found him. We hadn't heard this term yet. It wasn't until after he died that I started getting into this. So before I ever heard that term, before we ever talked about it, when I asked him some of the tough questions, like my mom says this, what really happened? He's now faced with telling me some very private situations and explaining his part of it, his side of it. 
but he did it in a way that he always made me feel like I was not judged for loving my mom or having a relationship with her. He never talked like that whatsoever. And he prefaced his answer. And he said, first of all, I want you to know that regardless of where it ended, I truly loved your mom. And this is what I, you know, this is what I recall. And so he was very careful not to reverse damage, do reverse damage. And I think that's super important to remember. And as hard as that might sound, we can't do reverse damage when the child does reach out to you because that will definitely push them away. And I, I use a, a scenario with magnets. And if you guys, if you were to hold op- opposing magnets towards each other, they will resist. Have you ever held magnets together and you just can't get them to connect, connect no matter what you do? Does that sound yes, familiar? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so when you're, yeah. when you're at odds with um, a child, you're not aligned with them, sometimes the harder you try, the more you're pushing them away, right? Because that magnet is never going to attract them. But when you use the right magnet and the right connection, then those magnets are attracting each other and you'll draw your child to you. So my dad was super good. He was brilliant in drawing me to him by being one, willing to answer my questions and still careful not to do more damage. And as painful as some of the things that I discussed even here today, it was super painful for him to hear all of these things that happened to me. It was very traumatizing for him to go through and listen to that. But he still maintained that level. And he always prefaced that, you know, regardless, I still loved your mom. And that was important to me that, and I think it will be for any kid because we're not here to hash it out or to bash our other parents. We just want your side of the story. And if it comes across as combative from the child, then there's still a lot of work to be done there because that's reaction. And we have to remember that the child is hurt and we can calm their reactions by letting them feel that unconditional love for them and that it's so much more powerful than the hatred you have for their parent, their other parent, that they feel comfortable and more and more comfortable and more and more drawn to you because you're giving them unconditional love. So that unconditional love is the main key of reopening that communication with your child and not bringing up any conflict and certainly not giving them any any reason to feel guilty about their other parent. And I thought I thought that was important to add here at this point. So sorry, I kind of derailed it again. No, no, <laughs> it's it's okay. It's it's really really important, and I can say from my from uh, from my own little experience, um, I had a lot of anger, and rightly so, and it took it took the best part of three years to graduate. From that anger, and that anger turned to to sadness. Now, I, I'm not ang- I'm not angry anymore. I'm just sad that uh, my daughter, instead of having 
instead of having such a blessed life where she can travel to to at least two countries where she has a, a extremely extended family on my side i i have uh, i have nine siblings and now nine siblings we have about 15 plus children of our own and uh, and and my ex is all by herself so all of this she lost the culture the language the connection the the extended family connection all of it is lost and and you cannot you just cannot rebuild it tomorrow you cannot build it in you cannot rebuild it in three years once that connection is lost even though people reconnect it's never gonna be like it could have been if it was left naturally to foster. Exactly. Exactly. And that's such such a loss, and I call it a theft. It is a theft. And she has been robbed of time. She's been robbed of relationship and bonding with not just you, but your entire family and that extended family is essential for children. It is essential for them to have grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins because it's safe. It's a safe family bond that they have with people that they're related to that understands the entire family dynamic where a child raised without one has no way of gauging that. And I was raised without them until now. Now I have them. And I hope I get to meet my aunts and uncle. Um, we'll see. We don't know what their frame of mind is about knowing because my, my dad is a surprise to them. They didn't realize, I, my dad didn't know he had siblings. So this is a new discovery now that my dad thought he was an only child. It turns out that according to DNA and matches on ancestry, that he wasn't an only child. There's a lot of family story there <laughs> that's a little disruptive, but in the right mindset, in the right situations, that's a blessing. And for me, it's a blessing. I hope it's a blessing for them as well. I, I hope I hope that that's the case. I absolutely do. Uh, I would add uh, one little thing uh, about uh, particularly uh, for Japan's population. A lot of people are introverts in this country really closed closed always all by themselves no wonder when you see in these when you see these broken families being produced like like factory conveyors used to produce you know whatever goods whatever goods you you wonder you wonder no more why these children and these people uh, these later to become adults these people why they are so introverted because we never we never had this we never had this ability either by themselves or by the parents making to have these extra connections we we never went yeah they're not we, learning we, we never went uh, we never went and met uh, grandparents from whatever we never went and met cousins from whatever we never had this family their family was literally their clan I, I wouldn't even say no more as a family, but their clan would be made of father, who is always working and almost never home, mother, who is forever at home, 
and a child or children who is always clinging to the mother. And that will be their clan. Grandparents will be visited once a year, if ever. Um, and the rest of them, God forbid, upon the divorce, all of these connections are literally cut. And I use this expression. These connections are cut in the same way like you would cut an umbilical, uh, umbilical cord upon the delivery of a child. You cut it once and for all. It's never to be reconnected. It's never to be, you know, put back together. You cut it once yeah. and for all, and you never look back. And that's how they, they cut the, the uh, you know, the familial bonds. And no wonder that once they're closed and on the run and always hiding and always brainwashing the children that uh, the other parent is, is absolute monster, so on and so forth, that... Uh, these children later to become adults, they, they, they lose this natural uh, curiosity to look, to connect, to speak with yeah. people. When I say that quite often, where I'll say, you know, I'll talk about how, you know, in my marriage, when I, when I was getting a divorce, when my ex-husband said, I'm not going to pay you a diamond child support, you're going to do this on your own. I believed him and I thought, okay, well, you're, you're not required. I was taught that parents weren't required through my own experiences. So when I was approached with this and he, you know, made that, that comment, I was like, fine, I don't need you. we we do what we're taught and we're taught by the examples that we've been given. And that what you're explaining is just a different version um, of, of what we're taught. Like you're being taught what not to do because that's not what you do. So that that is troubling as well. Indeed, indeed it is. SK, you have a floor. Yeah, so I'm all over social media. If you search Don McCarty, or you know, you you can probably find me on almost everything. Um, it's either Don McCarty or Securing Everything is um, on some of the platforms. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Clubhouse, all of those. Um, I'm part of the National Parents Organization here in Florida. Um, one thing about National Parents Organization is we are doing a lot of the research and trying to help pass laws. So we're not necessarily a parent research type um, organization where we can provide funding or anything like that. So that sometimes is um, a little confusing in the name. Um, we, we're we're switching over to being a sharedparenting.org now. So if you want to look up some of the information, you could go there. Um, it shows you who your state chairs may be. So if you need to reach out to somebody on sharedparenting.org, shared you can find out who your state chapters are. Not all states have them, which is a goal that we would like to be able to accomplish is to put a chair in every state. So maybe that's something that you might be interested in. So you can reach out to national parents organizations um, to find out what that process is. Um, you might also want to volunteer for the current or existing um, team that's in your state. So go there to find out who that might be um, so you can reach out to them. Um, in Florida, I'm working on collaborating with other organizations because I think that we're better together, we're stronger together, and we're louder together. So we're working with 
um, as many organizations as we can, trying to pull them together so that we can address the issues for the state at the grassroots level. So, yeah, we work with legislators and whatnot, but I think it's going to be a stronger um, way of doing it by working with the grassroots because they vote. And in our state, when we conducted the um, research last year, we discovered that when asked, 96% of Floridians approved of shared parenting. So this study was done on um, probably eight, I don't know, between five and 10 different states that this study was conducted in. And it showed that there's an overwhelming agreement that shared parenting should be the norm. So these are things that we, we work towards. Now we just did a study, it's brand new, so I haven't even looked at Florida's yet. I know we got a pretty high score, which was I was pretty ha happy about, but it was about the, the um, child support and how each state, you know, what their statutes are. So we look at the statutes of each state and we determine what is their, what is their score based on other states. And then um, like, but the shared parenting, they got a grade, A, B, C, D, and F. So um, that's what the National Parents Organization really does is a lot of the research and studies to put together some of these numbers. I'm also part of um, Kids Need Both, and we're building a, a learning management system with hope for families so that we can pull in all of these collaborative groups and, and individuals, mental health practitioners and coaches and and um, the ability to provide these resources to help people who want to get a divorce, but maybe not want to go the traditional route through family court. Maybe we can help them achieve their goals without all that. So we're going to have those resources that will help um, help that. And then that way we're securing that child's footing when, in the lives of both their parents. And I think that's a, that's a positive outcome that we're hoping to to achieve with that. And then of course, through my organization, I'm always trying to secure everything. And I talk about a lot of different things when it comes to that, from being safe online to helping parents learn how to protect their children from online predators, um, to just how to change your, your password um, for your cable modem in your home so that you can secure your house on, on being safe and identity theft and all kinds of all kinds of things that kind of are wrapped up in, in that. So I'm like I said, I'm on a lot of the, the platforms and all that information is kind of everywhere. So it's probably easy to find me. Um, and then what was the other, I think you had one other question in there. Did I answer it all? Okay. Yeah, I, uh, the, the only part it's a little bit of uh, enlightenment about the Hague because uh, as you know a lot of people doesn't know and uh, some of our listeners will find it uh, a bit questionable why why Hague is not working in Japan and the the main reason the main reason is that uh, Hague convention is all about joint custody the main the main principle in Hague convention is the child has a right, not the parent has a right, but the child has a right yeah. to see mm -hmm. his both parents and have not just relationship, but meaningful relationship. Meaningful is the key word in that. Yep, absolutely. And 
And in this country, unfortunately, uh, this understanding is just not there. Why? Why is not there? Because of the previous things I've told, and again, the current law inside Japan states sole custody. So wherever you go, it's sole custody. The mindset is sole custody. Erase, cut, remove. Well, and we're moving away from that here in the United States. We don't we don't want to refer to it as sole custody because that is not in the best interest of the child. So now we have. Um, what is it called? I just drew a blank on it. Where we have um, um, where the child lives primarily with the one parent. Oh my gosh, what is that word? Custodial parent, I guess. The custodial parent. Primary yeah, custodial so parent. Primary custodial parent. So we we we're we're not considering that sole custody because there is no sole owner of a child. We have two parents that equally created that child. So there's no sole ownership and children shouldn't be owned anyway. Um, so, and, you know, it's funny because I was to mention to you earlier how I thought that we might've spoken in the past because someone reached out to me, asked me to um, talk to some leadership in, you know, the leaders in Japan. And I remember that they sent me a zoom link and I got on this call, but, I was really having a hard time struggling with understanding. I couldn't understand what was being discussed um, because it wasn't in English. <laughs> so I don't know that I was supposed to be on that call. Um, so, so I didn't get to participate, unfortunately. However, you know, I, I am planning on being able to go out into the, into the world and speak around the world about these long-term effects and what I can do to help make changes in, in other areas in other countries. I'm helping with um, another research study on the long-term effects for children and what, what can be done to help us. You know, because like I mentioned a little while ago, we don't have a lot of resources. We can't just go into a lot of our mental health facilities and speak to, a, you know, they, they say, oh, we'll find a psychiatrist or, you know, find this or find that, but they don't know what to do with us because it's not necessarily in plain sight in the DSM. It's in the DSM, but it's not in plain sight. So if, if there's a uh, opportunity that I'm, you know, I'm gonna be really trying to do is to get out into the world and start talking to these leaders who need to hear that fresh perspective and they need to hear it from the child's perspective. So if I, I, I don't remember who it was that wanted me to get involved in that phone call. But if I ever had that opportunity with any country, I think that would be um, ideal and, and welcoming. I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to invite you to participate uh, in, in, some, in some things in Japan. Yeah, we do a lot of things in Japan. So, but then again, I just got connected to uh, Dawn, right? So I think we can invite her to yes, all the yes. things that we are planning yes, to do. Exactly. So yeah. she's very, keen on it. It's very suitable. It's very suitable. And um, uh, just just finishing the last part, uh, struggling to, to to finish my monologue about The Hague. So I'm what, sorry. What, <laughs> so, so, I have a lot so to what, talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so so what happens what happens with The Hague in Japan now we have this uh, clashing two walls. 
joint custody versus local sole custody. Now imagine the judges who born who were born and uh, and raised in the country were sole custody, or now we can upgrade. Japan is not that advanced, by the way, to 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 be able to to conceive primary custodial parent. It, it's no nowhere near that level. We're we're still in the head. We're still somewhere in in the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what what happens is you bring the Hay case to the local court in Japan, and local court in Japan is run by who? Of course, by local Japanese. And these local Japanese adhere to what kind of wisdom? To sole custody. And how can you expect them to sit in this particular case and say, "Oh, excuse me." I don't think so that sole custody should be applicable in this case. They work day in and day out on sole custody. Everything is cut, removed, destroyed, take apart. And now out of a sudden you you bring a couple who happens to be, you know, half Japanese, half not. And uh, out of a sudden they need to come and say, oh, now, now we need to somehow connect them. How can we connect them? We don't even know the word connect. We only know the word to disconnect, destroy, cut, remove, erase, delete. And this is really, really where the, where the country is struggling with the concept what Hague Convention is. Because in their mindset, the child, and this is very, very important for the listeners to understand how Japan sees the child. Japan does not see the child as a little human being. Japan sees the child as a possession, as a thing. Like you would have a handbag or a table or a car. And they call it a movable property. So that's what the child is. Therefore, when you think child has rights, indeed, child has rights. But in order for child to have its right, uh, his rights, the child needs to be treated like a child and not a movable property. Yeah, because the child's going to be an adult at some point and then responsible for their life. So therefore, they are the owner of that at any point in time. Yet, yet in here, this, this what the simple thing you just mentioned cannot be registered. It for some reason is is still very, very new concept for them to understand. And this is and this is why the Hague Convention, even though it's been introduced so long ago, this is this is part not the sole reason. This is one of the big reasons why it is not working. Because the very people who should adjudicate the case towards the joint custody, towards the connection, reconnection, the meaningful visitation, they come into that court, into that case with their old mindset. Well, and they probably don't long. know, they don't know what it's like to be separated or divorced. And they're, they don't have that emotional intelligence to be able to rule for all the people, not just the, the married people. I would, I would strongly challenge the part of they don't know, they do know, because this uh, destruction of family is being prevalent not since three years ago. It's been happening since time in immemorial. So no, I mean this, that they may not personally know the experience. Like they may they may know like what's going on, but if they haven't experienced it themselves, 
do they understand the pain? Uh, they've been conditioned not to feel yeah. anything. That's that's how the school is being run. That's that's completely another topic. But once once you learn how the schools are being run in Japan, you will understand why even after the experience, what the experience, they have almost no emotions towards or against it. And 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 that's why I said I would I would strongly challenge the the thing that they don't know. A lot of them they do know. A lot of them went through it personally. Yet, like I mentioned earlier on, the the wisdom will be as such. Look at me. I went through it myself. I'm just fine. I'm not broken. I'm I'm living. I'm having relationship. I'm doing something. Anything. You should be fine. Continue. Find another. Find another husband. Find another wife. Make another child. Then that's the selfish part of it. That's the selfish part of it where they're. They're not thinking about the child. Well, uh, as uh, as I mentioned just minutes ago, the child is not a child. The child is a movable right. property, and that's a big, big problem. That's until, what I would want to challenge. Is why they think that until the child will be treated as a little human being, child, mm-hmm. right? This 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 topic is not going to go anywhere, regardless what the law will read. The mindset, the mindset is there yeah. that the child is a movable property. And when you come as a barrister, attorney, judge, whatever, you come into the court of law, you have a lot of room to interpret the sentence whatever way you see fit. You read it from left to right, from bottom to top, however you see fit. And today, black was gray, and tomorrow gray would become pink. And and everybody's fine with that mm-hmm. because that's that's how the law is. It's open to interpretation. That's unfortunate, but I agree with you. And I think I think that is the part that needs to be challenged. I would want to challenge, and and that's the only thing that needs to be changed at this point because without changing that, nothing else is possible. I'm I'm sure we will invite you soon enough to. Any kind of uh, maybe joint podcast or some sort of a forum mm-hmm. where you where you would be very welcome to enlighten the population of 127 million that uh, a child is literally a child is not a movable property and shouldn't be treated as such. And hopefully, yeah. if if they understand the concept, the child is a child, uh, we will be able to to finally break up break the ice so to speak and 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 be able to move forward towards the better children yeah Yeah. of future children and for the closing part of mine uh is you will understand uh, why why we're so struggling in japan in uh year 2020 it's official data uh there were 845,000 newborns in Japan, very little number. The people people are not making children, and one of the reasons is this uh, abductions, never-ending abductions. Uh, so what happened in the same year? Uh, eight hundred forty-five newborns, uh, eight hundred forty-five thousand newborns, out of which, at the same year, two hundred twenty thousand children were parentally removed, abducted. Wow. Now, 
what, what that means, if you calculate it, what that means that we're having this podcast for almost four hours, and you would see that in these four hours, literally four children have been snatched from a family home. Wow. One child per hour. That's that's the that's the situation. And when people think, when people think, well, you know, when you know a country of 127 million, uh, 200,000 children doesn't sound so bad. But when you when you calculate it, that one child gets abducted every hour, you think, well, that's not okay. That's 24 children a day. That's over 140 children a week. It's it's absolute. It's diabolical. It's that absolutely is. diabolical. Absolutely. It, we have we have people crossing the streets, getting hit by the car, and we go, we go bonkers. We three put up a crosswalk and signals and yes, yes. Three warning. people killed on this one. Now we need to remove the speed nationwide. Now mm-hmm. we need to put ten signals, so on and so forth. And yeah. yet we have twenty four children snatched every day, nonstop. And this number keeps growing. This is not the final number. It keeps growing exponentially uh, every year. And, and yet nobody, nobody sees this as a calamity. It's, it's, a, it actually, it's a societal calamity. This is, this is how the country gets destroyed. Yeah. And yet the politicians will, will come and say, well, should be should be okay. You were not a good parent. The child will be all the way better from you. The very child who happened to be better away from you now makes his own children. And he will he will rear the children exactly the same way he like was he was. Mm-hmm. And that those children will go again the same path. It's, it's a never-ending cycle which yeah. needs well, to the, be broken. And then what if the child suffered a lot of emotional trauma and now can't figure out how to parent their own children. What if that child ends up not being suitable to be a parent according to the laws of the land? What if the they um, the child is removed from the home because they believe that they're not a suitable parent now? So it affects our ability to parent in you know into the future as well. Yes. Sorry, I had yes, to offer real quick. But, you know, our, our ability to be successful parents, to be successful and upstanding citizens in the community are all hinged upon our experiences as children. Now, some of us manage to find ways to make that happen. I think that my determination and my own tenacity is why I survived. And I knew I had that hope. But not every child is promised hope. They're not promised anything, any different outcome than what they've experienced. And I think that's huge when we're talking about children being objects and not learning. Because the whole point of a parent is to raise that child to learn how to be the best adult they could possibly be. And if we're not teaching them until they're no longer a possession, then all of a sudden we require them to, that is an injustice to the child. You're setting that child up to fail. Where parents, their goal should be to teach that child how to become 
an upstanding citizen and the best parent they could possibly be by teaching them how to analyze and to navigate and to deal with the conflict and to overcome the painful situations so that they can be successful in life as well. Right. It's, it's basically enhance their capabilities, not diminish. Exactly. Don't hold them back. You're holding them back by who they could have become their potential. So you're, it's like you're, you're setting off a fire, you know, a firework. I'll use a firework as an example where you light the fuse and as the fuse burns, you know, that's, let's use that as the reference to the childhood. Eventually it's going to reach the, the part of the firework that shoots it off into the sky for the, the beautiful explosion it's intended to be. Well, if we stunt the growth during the fuse, that firework is never going to launch. Not in the way it should. And it becomes a dud. And I don't want to think that kids become a dud, but we're, we're stunting the growth. It's like stunting the capability. And we're stunting their, their um, potential of what they could, they could have done had they had a different experience as a child. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, well, I hope, I hope that this country is, is going to wake up. Uh, I hope that uh, people like you who bring uh, frontline knowledge to this topic, it's going to be listened to and, and they will try their best to understand what's being said and, and not just listen the way they learn English. It goes to the left ear, nothing's being worked in the middle and it just goes to the right ear, but it actually goes through the left, gets worked a lot in the middle and hopefully almost nothing will come out of the right ear. Everything will be retained inside the head. Agreed. I hope we can do that across the, the globe everywhere because I know it's it's something that's just happening everywhere and each country has different different unique situations. And if we could get get a understanding of what it means for a parent and child bond and what it does and then have that as our guideline and maybe help countries understand what the meaningful relationship is in the Hague Convention. Because meaningful relationship means that they actually have one. I, I will I will enlighten you inadvertently on what what the meaningful relationship is considered in Japan. One hour a month. That's that is meaningful. So there, but I know uh, prisoners in jail here in the US that gets more time than that. Yeah. And, yeah, but the truth of the matter is that hard. most people don't even get one hour. Yes. So, so That's one not hour a month, <laughs> yeah, one one hour a month is not that bad after all when you think of it. Because, like uh, like SK said, a lot of the people, including myself, I don't get one minute a year. I get nothing. I get mm. absolutely nothing. I don't know so if she's dead, if she's alive. I don't know how she looks. I I don't know if she's healthy. How tall she is. If she's reading, how many languages she's speaking? Where's she at know, now? How, how? Sorry. Where is she at now? Is she in no Japan? Idea. 
no idea whatsoever. Finish tea in Japan? Well, you know? Jap- Japan protects child abductors, so I surmise that they, they are in Japan because no other country will protect them the way this country does. And, and uh, a lot of abductors come back to Japan because child abduction is not a crime in this country. Returning child from the abducted, uh, from the abducting parent is a big crime. That is treated like a proper child abduction case. However, the first abduction, the first removal from whatever the child was, uh, is, is not treated as a abduction. Therefore, so you can't kidnap them back? You cannot kidnap them back, no. Wow. Wow. That is very hypocritical, actually. And uh, what, what, what happens, why, why, why in here people uh, abduct the children? Of course, there's a hate. There's a, a need, a want to hurt the other side. All of these things. But one of the other things is the custody arrangement the default custody arrangement of sole custody, that, that uh, inability to keep things connected, that need to sever the connections at that point. And what happens is if, you, if, you, if relationship is breaking down and uh, you think like, well, what's going to be of me? You know, if we go to court, uh, I have 50% chance of losing. If I am a man, I have even more. If I'm a foreign man in Japan, I have like 90% of losing. It's basically, if you're a foreigner against Japanese, regardless of sex, you lose. If you're Japanese against Japanese, woman usually wins. It's this kind of, this kind of arrangement. And uh, when you know that, what, what means soul custody, this destruction, disconnection of everything you have been having until until that fateful day, you, you think the only thing to retain the child, the connection, is to snatch the child first. And that's why these abductions are so prevalent. These abductions, they don't hit news no more. These wow. abductions are so everyday occurrence. Every morning the sun goes up and every evening without failure, the sun will go down. And that's how it is with abductions. It happens. It did happen yesterday. It is happening today, and for sure, it will take place tomorrow. Yeah. And that is how the, how the things are. And until, wow. this, until this understanding that uh, divorce does not mean a complete and utter disconnection of any kind of bonds, these, these things will not progress regardless what the law says. Yeah, that's Even something though, important. That element right there is that two people made a choice to get married, and then in their actions, they created a child who did not make a choice as to who their parents were. So therefore, when two people get a divorce, the child didn't enter into that agreement because it took place before they existed. So the child cannot divorce the parents. Because that's not the that's not the situation in any way, shape, or form. So I know that Japan does not look at it that way, but these are the things that I like to talk about because I'm hoping that that will help change the way people think about the children's point of view 
and what we're doing to children all over the world is that we're asking the child to divorce a parent. And we're not even asking. We're not even giving them the opportunity to... We're ordering. Yeah, being ordered with or without their consent. And that is, in effect, a legal abduction. It's a legal theft. A legal, not illegal. A legal theft. It's a legal abduction. It's it's a it's a legal way of doing things that would normally be considered a crime. Correct. And I, I would I would like to maybe add rather than correct uh, that from my from that's that's from my own personal experience because when I was in court several times I literally asked the judge about how can you ask me to divorce my child to whom I never married in the first place. I can divorce my wife, no problem. I will get over it. Not the first woman, not the last woman. People move on, relations break apart. What, what, why, why would you ask me to, to, to divorce a child which I never married to? How, how is that possible? But a valid this question. Is, this, this is not, uh, this is not uh, a thing which they were willing to entertain. Not just in my case, in any case. All cases are treated almost one, one and the same. Wow. That's a very so, valid question. I think it's one that stands to be answered. So, so that, that was it's just from my personal experience, but I've heard it a uh, number of times, people thinking loudly to themselves, but they did not have enough guts to say that to the judge. And and I was literally standing in front of a judge and I asked in my perfect Japanese, because we don't afford you in family court, we don't afford you the ability to speak any other language, because in Japan you speak Japanese, you write Japanese. If you end up in, in Japanese family court uh, and you don't have a lawyer who speaks, let's say, English at the very least, you're absolutely doomed. Because imagine wow. it's like somebody will lift you now from where you are, throws you in the middle of China or Thailand or maybe Burma, whatever we don't have normal letters we used to use. And, uh, and they say, go and litigate in court, even litigating in your own home country. Wow. Knowing your own language perfectly, it's a harrowing experience. And now we end up in this foreign land, the foreign understanding of everything, literally opposite of what you've been taught all your life and 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 they tell you to litigate in our language because you happen to be in our country and support is not minimal is non-existent non zero nada and wow. if you ask for support if you ask for translator they will look at you like you just dropped from the from some sort of alien dish so to speak, you know, why why do you need that? Even even sometimes when you understand the foreign language, when it comes to judicial processes, there are terms, there are consequences where the comma in the wrong place changes the the sentence, the meaning of the sentence completely. And if you don't get that, those nuances, you will lose the case fair and square. Yet they will never understand this part. They will simply barge with the knowledge. Oh, you can speak somewhat this language, 
you can you can be you know by yourself you don't need no lawyer we don't need to translate anything if you can buy milk in a store with your ability of, of this language then you're okay to be in family court and 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 that was that was so shocking for me i i never ever thought that in such advanced country people think about uh that you will be put literally worse than probably north korea and china combined at least china and north korea were not hiding the fact that well we're not treating our people the best and you know if you don't want to get into the problem just don't get don't get into the problem to begin with be a little bit more model citizen than god himself and japan on the other hand they will proclaim that you know lovely people advanced advanced country advanced in everything democracy so on and so forth and when you go to through the legal system i'm telling you it's no better than you would fight in china or north korea absolutely no better wow that is just very very it's heartbreaking to 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 understand the depth of the disconnect there, that the the breakage in the the and, legal breakage of a family bond, and, and and I would I would like to add, uh, this is also very important for our listeners to to maybe understand and learn about, is that uh, in Japan, uh, when when the when the divorce takes place. The, the common the common uh, knowledge goes that uh, you leave the children be you do not chase them you do not cry in court you do not show your emotions you gonna you're just gonna be like literally a robot and uh, when when some if the other side asks you to leave them be you literally leave them be and even even my own attorney at some point in time told me if you're a good father leave her be for a couple of years then we will see how it goes and that's the bad part though that's that's just terrible and and i had and i had audacity to ask him uh well are you a good father i think so i said why don't you give me uh, how many children you have two why don't you give me both for a month no give me one for a week for a day for an hour no no i can't do that so you're not that good of a father after all you're telling me, as a good father, I should leave her be. My daughter just abandoned her for, for a couple of years until things cool down without, without doing anything whatsoever. And yet you consider yourself a good father, but you cling to your children with dear life. Why so? Yeah, and the, the abandonment part there that you bring up is what, the, what they're asking the child to endure because the child like me, I sat there and cried myself to sleep, hoping that my daughter or my dad would come and rescue me, but he never came because he wasn't able to. So we, the child doesn't know the reasons why you don't show up. And I think that's devastating for an adult um, outside of the dynamic to expect not just of you, but they're expecting that of your daughter. And I know you've, you've told me, and I don't know how long it's going to, how many times you're going to have to tell me that for it to really sink in, that 
they're not considered people there, that they're objects or possessions, but this is what we have to change because even here in the United States, when you go through family court, you go to court to, to, to just, um, what's the disillusion? So you go in there to dissolve your assets, your marital assets. And the children are caught up in that realm of a marital asset. And even here in the States is something that needs to be changed where children are being drugged through family court through a divorce. You know, and now they're even talking about, well, why don't we just get the child an attorney? Well, let's just add another $100,000 to the bill. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So that's even not more on the most Yeah, that's just, you know, and then, then children, you know, how much, how much voice do you give a child that can be used against their own parents? I mean, kids can be mouthy and talk back all they need, all they want. They don't need help with the law to yes. give them a reason to even be more powerful as children. Children do need guidance. They do need their parents to help mold and shape them. We just have to make sure that parents aren't the ownership of their lives, but they're the stewards of it. And we're trying to help navigate these children into being the best adult they can be. We're not saying, well, I own you and this is the way it is until you turn 18 and then you got to go figure it out for yourself because I didn't teach you anything. I just taught you how to be my little person, my little shadow. And that's not a good place for a child to start living their adult life. Right, right. And to cement, to cement your recently found new knowledge about uh, children being little property <laughs> or movable property is the law which handles children is exactly the very law which handles movable property fair and square wow so the it would this be the same realm that cattle are herded into if there was a uh, dispute over Farmland or animals? Yes. Open, yes, yes. open range. Yes. yes. So that's comforting. <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs> not. Not in capitals, but yes, yes, and that's and and interestingly, just recently I found out that the the law, this movable property law, was uh, there from from almost like hundred something years ago. And just recently, because a lot of people started to make noise, I want to see my children, I want to change the custody from uh, one parent to another, so on and so forth. And they were thinking what to do, what to do. And, and somebody clever came up and said, why don't we use the same law which handles, you know, things like a, a bag, a car, uh, a plot of land, a, a bottle of something. And some, some clever heads like in unison, yeah, we're not. I think it's cool. We don't need to think, we don't need to invent, you know, the, the wheel once again. And they just moved the children to be dealt with that, uh, with that law. However, they forgot one little thing, that when you deal with a property, with any kind of uh, object, that object can most of the time be 10 years later, all the same. The child, it's not that it will grow in in. Uh, how can I say, in, in, in size, right? The child will develop in mind. The child will develop certain mindset. The child will learn 
certain things in a certain way. And that is not to be dealt the same way like we would be dealing with movable property. But yet this wisdom have not reached the clever heads of this country. And that is very, very unfortunate, first and foremost for the children, and secondly, for the parents of the said children. Wow. This, this is, you know, it, it, it really frustrates, frustrates me to, to hear that because, you know, I, like I, I mentioned earlier how persistent and tenacious I can be. And I've always been one that seeks justice. You know, like, I want justice for this. And for my own, you know, my own endeavors, my own experiences, I've sought justice. And, that, you know, that's why I went into criminal justice and, to, you know, victimology and, and all of that, because I wanted to find solutions. And, and everything I do, I do from that power from within. And I hear stories like this, and it just makes me want to dig in deeper and harder and really get that point across that children are not objects. We're not cattle. We're not furniture. We don't belong on a piece of paper in a divorce proceeding. We are individual human beings that have a spirit and a life inside of us that nobody can touch. Like my parents could not reach in. My mom, as hard as she tried, could not reach the inside internal piece of my heart to erase what left what I had left of my dad. It is physically impossible to do. So therefore, that speaks volumes in my, and in, in, in I know I'm speaking on my own um, thoughts here. That is why you cannot consider me an asset. Because you cannot change that deep belief inside of me. Nobody can. Exactly. Absolutely the case. Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. I think it's been five hours or four hours now. And uh, we should really give her a break, uh, mainly because, uh, yeah, she just recovered from COVID. So, but uh, with that said, uh, uh, Don, I think this is one of oh, the best awesome. episodes. Good. All the answers were really good. I'm not even kidding. I, I took so many notes. Like, you know, normally I'll take notes on, like, what part to cut, what part to keep. And the pointers that the, the number of like minutes and all that I took down is already more than wow. three pages, which wow. makes well, like a lot of good points. I mean, I'm happy to, to be here and, and to speak about this kind of stuff and hopefully to make a difference every, anywhere I can, um, however I can. And that's the whole point of achieving this point in time where I can now see that I have a purpose. So that's why I'm here. This is what I do. All right, Don, thank you so much for taking so many hours to be with us and I appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners appreciate it too. Now, I would like to remind everyone that our goal here is to share knowledge with you guys and show that you're not alone in this. With that said, if you need specific legal advice, please get your own independent advice from a qualified legal practitioner. If you're a minor or if you happen to have difficulties in understanding certain parts within this episode, please approach a responsible adult or someone knowledgeable in these topics and ask them for clarifications. We have done our best to make sure that it doesn't offend anyone 
And if you have further questions or comments or feedback regarding Find My Parent or this interview, you can always email me at sk at findmyparent.org. If you're someone who got separated from your own parent and would like to find your parent again, please go to findmyparent.org and fill out your details. With the help of our smart algorithms and matching technology, we hope to help you find your alienated parent again. If you're part of an NGO or even a private company passionate about this topic, please reach out through the contact us page in findmyparent.org and we hope to work together with you. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Speak to you next week. Take care till then. Oh,